If you're telling me that Almost Famous is 14 points better than Sunshine, you're high off your ass. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is There Will Be Movies, Volume 1, 2000-2009. We are talking about 25 of our favourite movies that came out in said time period. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you for episode 10? I'm episode so, 10. I'm so confident episode about these numbers. How are you? It's episode 10. I'm good. We're two, two-fifths of the way through. Sure, that's a way of looking at it. An accurate way of looking at it. <laughs> so episode 10, we're going to do Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a title that Charlie Kaufman was real intent on not being catchy. I believe his original title was 18 words long, and he said he didn't want it to be able to ever fit on a marquee. So, <laughs> Is it is it the full quote from Alexander Pope that he used the title, or is it something else? Uh, maybe, I don't know. I haven't seen the 18-word title. But... I mean, because the, the, so the full Alexander Quote post is, How happiness is the blameless vessel's lot, the world forgetting by the world forgot eternal sunshine and spotless mind each pair accepted and each wish resigned i would imagine it was eternal sunshine and the spotless mind each pair accepted each pair resigned would have been the full title but who fucking knows so we both selected this but i'm just gonna say i think this will lean slightly more towards you than me i think it is extremely good but i know a lot of people heavily revere this like adore it and i don't have that feeling about it but i think as an exercise in filmmaking it's great and you've got some excellent performances here but I'm just like eh, I, I kind of look at this and I can't help but nitpick it and think how I would have done it how I would have remixed it and made it slightly better but you think you're better than Shirley Kaufman no I think I'm better than <laughs> Michelle Gondry who directed this and none of his movies from this decade were in contention other than this it's yeah it's so weird like Michelle Gondry I he's made this like one masterpiece and not to say that I don't think like Be Kind Rewind is like a lot of fun I found but, that like, profoundly disappointing disappointing. Sure, in comparison to this it is, and like Human Nature's his other movie that he did with um, Charlie Kaufman but it's mm. also like the worst Kaufman script of like this decade. Yeah. Do you like, know what's like... probably the best thing he made this decade? Dave Chappelle's Block Party. You should see that. It's great. Kanye West is like the opener. Imagine such a world. I think we skimmed over it when we discussed Spike Jones. is that this is the second kind of like big music video director. And, and you like, can tell. Like, yeah, I mean like the, these two, I mean obviously like Michelle Gondry's kind of most famously worked with like the White Stripes York is probably one of his big ones he did Polyphonic Spree which makes sense because of this movie he's done Radiohead videos he's did the Mad World video for Michael Andrews and Gary Jules all kinds of stuff yeah but it is a kind of weird filmography where this is like the banger and then everything else is like eh you don't see a lot of that where someone's only got one good one in them but he did or maybe Charlie Kaufman had a really good fourth one in him and uh, Gondry happened to be the one although I mean, it was it, Gondry's idea so yeah it, but it's interesting because obviously like Charlie Kaufman's like after this he does um, Synoptity and he does An- Anima Lisa and he's got um, I'm thinking of ending things coming next year so we'll see how good that is but like it's not like Charlie Kaufman's still got good movies coming out after this whereas Michel Gondry kind of this is it. He's here. They, they're, 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 they're visually interesting, and I mean, like, I don't think, as I said, Big Kind Rewind is terrible. I don't think Green Hornet is an abomination. It was that weird moment where everyone was sort of like, we had that hot moment after Batman Begins comes out, and everyone's just like, we should make 
all the 1930s heroes into, yeah. into movies. Give the me spirit. the shadow or give me death. The spirit. The spirit, Jesus, with um the guy from Suits in it, right? I can't remember. I just remember Samuel Jackson plays like a squid. Yeah. Or oh, Gabriel Mack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Harvey Specter, yeah. He's, he is the spirit, isn't he? Scarlett yeah. Johansson as Silken Floss. Fucking hell. That was directed by Frank Miller, who, who boy, who thought he had enough experience from co-directing Sin City. Mm-hmm. So, Charlie Kaufman, would that make him the first time we've had a repeat writer? Yes, I do believe so. Because we firmly set a rule about no repeat directors, but we set no such rule for writers. That was the thing where I was like, I was like, oh, this is going to be cheating because they do feel very much like of a similar brain. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, but I really want to do adaptation and I also really want to do Eternal Sunshine, so... Well, fair enough. I mean, you know, I think films are generally a product of a director more than they are of a writer, even if the script is the strongest bit. I feel so much of its identity is well, down it, to the director. So. I mean, there is that historical precedent of, like, film is a director's medium, TV mm. is a writer's medium. And I feel like both have kind of, like, dipped and swayed in terms of that, and this is one of those stronger ones where I feel like there is definitely a writerly voice that you can feel in this movie. Yeah. So Michelle Gondry and Pierre Bismuth get story credits, but the, the screenplay is by Charlie Kaufman. Released March 19th, 2004 in the US, 30th of April, 2004 in the UK, so one day after my 15th birthday there you go oh you could have gone see it in the cinema I could have I did not <laughs> I did not go see this I was not even aware this was a thing until after it had come out and gotten whatever scores it got and all that so you talked about 2004 in general when we did Shaun of the Dead but if you want to just talk about this movie's opening weekend and what it sort of like was stacked up against and stuff actually genuinely surprisingly this opened at number two at the UK box office hmm. I mean obviously I th- it's hard to say because like, quite often in the UK when movies that have got awards buds come out they will do it in kind of January for every time and they'll get like a bump because they've got all the nominations and they know how it's mm-hmm. faring critically whereas this is out in April Oscars isn't even there so you have to imagine that this is coasting off the fact that Kate Winslet is kind of like British acting royalty and Jim, Jim Carrey is... American acting royalty of course uh, yeah but Jim but Jim Carrey's probably like he's coming off of Bruce Almighty he's coming off of like just the hottest possible box office run that you can imagine I king mean, of the 90s king of the I mean like his 93 is it 93 or 90, 90 he's 94 well, but Dumb and Dumb the Mask and Ace Ventura in one year. Yeah, An in one year. An untouchable year for an actor, in my opinion. He's so firmly cemented he, himself he's as, like... still pretty much got it at this point, I would say. It's sort of a few... In the couple of years after this, where it starts to go on a decline. And... Yeah, it's like, he's like, he's like, how the Grinch saw Christmas in 2000. Mm. Bruce Almighty in 2003. Decent. Yeah, like, he's got... Like, he's still doing the big Jim Carrey performances, and, like, you have seen Truman Show and Man on the Moon prove that he can do a little bit more dramatic, and yeah. you've also got, like... Cable Guy, me, myself, and Irene, which are a little bit darker than yeah. his normal fare. But this is like. I feel this kind of seduced him, though, to go down to really try and explore that path of, like, what if I just went full dark and made the number 23 and stuff? Which I kind of like that movie, and I'm embarrassed that I like that movie, but it's not, like, you know, <laughs> what you're looking for, really. And then he just vanishes into things like Yes Man and. and... But, yeah, but Yes Man feels like such a, a blatant attempt at to go back to his, like, 90s glory days. Yeah. To get down to the fact that, like, it's literally the same conceit as Liar Liar without the supernatural stuff in the background pretty much but yeah I mean Jim Carrey is a, is a draw there are many stories about how the title was changed to be less poignant when released internationally and that coupled with Jim Carrey being in it made people think it was a comedy and they were profoundly 
definitely disappointed. But yeah, I, I feel Jim Carrey brings people to the yard. Yeah. And as you said, Winslet is, is Winslet, so. Yeah, I mean, like, so it opens number two, Behind Kill Bill, Volume 2, which has been playing for two weeks at this point, so people still want to go see like I know it's out. long, Ben, but it's not two weeks long. It may feel it if you're me, but, you know. Turns on Giant, uh, $1.48 million uh, in the the UK. I keep sitting here going, like, should I translate this into actual British money, or do I just do what Box Office Mojo tells me? Look, man, we're doing these in the order of US release, but you're talking about UK years, and it's all fucked. I'm you doing do this. You. I'm doing this so completely confusingly. Uh, number three, Secret Window, and I think we're so close to the actual release of Shaun of the Dead came out in the UK mm. that 51st Dates and Scooby-Doo are still hanging out. In fact, Shaun of the Dead's number six, so these movies are still kind of like hanging out in the yeah. box office. So. It's good that you're not going to say the words Lord of and The Rings anymore uh, whenever we're summing up. I know, I know, but like, we're getting close to the point where it's going to be, oh look, it's a superhero movie, and then... Yeah. And then at some point it'll be The Hobbit, and oh, we'll never escape. Uh, the Hobbits didn't do well. Did they not? Did they not make they it? Did, they did well, but not like what they should have done. All right. On terms of like the growth multiplier you should have applied to like, if The Lord of the Rings movies came out nowadays, they would be doing like kind of $2 billion kind of region, I imagine. Do you want to hear something wild? Uh, you haven't seen any of The Hobbit movies? No, I've seen all of the first two Hobbit movies, and I have I don't think I have seen more than five minutes of Twin Towers, or Two Towers. So. Twin Towers? Oh, Matt, watch yeah. Lord of the Rings. I've seen the first one in like chunks a dozen times, and I've seen the end of the third one, what feels like 500 times. Sorry, ending number one of 20. But yeah, never seen that second one. I don't think, I think I've caught like a scene where like Gandalf's talking to a lady, and that's it. That probably doesn't even happen. I'm probably misremembering. It's probably I, I mean, like, this, this where I just is this where I just send you like, just watch Helm's Deep, please? Yeah, people invoke that all the time, and I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever you say. Anyway, Lord of the Rings will probably be discussed on this website at some point, but we're not here yeah, for that. Yeah, like, we purposely avoided it for this podcast, even though it is like a towering achievement of the 2000s. Would you, which of the three would you put on this list if we didn't have the restrictions that we do and we were just doing uh, anything? I, d- I don't think I put one down because I think they are very much like one narrative. So you'd rather think... put none of them than one of them? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that thing where like, like, I'm one of those people that thinks they're better than the books because the films actually like interweave the stories together where the books are just like, here's six books. Mm-hmm. Each one's got like a beginning, middle and end. And I'm like, oh. Whereas the movies make you go like, oh, when, when there's a lull in tension, it will cut to another one. I'm like, yeah, I'm back excited again. Yeah. Well, speaking of excited, uh, there's no transition. Back to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So it's 108 minutes long. Another one where I think it could have used maybe another 10 minutes somewhere to... It's not that it it's too short, but it's surprisingly short, I would say. Maybe just movies started getting audaciously longer. Yeah, movies, yeah, that is definitely what happened. Movies got longer. Yeah. <laughs> like, it used to be we could do a, like, a tight 90-minute movie. Yeah, that's dead. And it... <laughs> Everything's two hours now, a minimum. No, it's not. Everything's two and a half hours now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I went to I went to watch Midsummer the other night, and I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be like maybe two hours, whatever it is. I'll be home in time for dinner, or whatever it is." And then like I was like, "Oh god, it's two and a half hours." I didn't feel it. Like it's not like I felt the movie was aggressively long, but it's like I got out, looked at the clock, and I was like, "Oh, that was." literally 180 minutes long. Did it end your relationship? I hear it's been breaking some people up. It didn't break my relationship because I didn't watch it with my partner. I just came out feeling like I'd been emotionally bludgeoned for two and a half hours. Right, cool. Bullet dodged. A budget of $20 million. It made 72.3, which isn't that high given what a, like, known it, 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 thing this is, but I feel it is a cult favourite. And like... it made, It's made its money back. Yeah, I mean, of, like, I think course. I think they would have been disappointed in America because it only did 34 domestic. So, like, if you take in the normal account of 
needs to do double its budget pretty much to like kind of like break even so it probably didn't just about break even but i also feel it's one of those things where like if this movie had come out tail end of 2004 they probably would have had like a sustained oscar bump kind of going on to kind of like push them over any numbers and you know that this is one of the best-selling like dvds from 2004 of course right so i have drawn some conclusions from my research into this movie that michelle gondry is a fuckbag let's (laughs) let's discuss so he and uh and this movie as I said, uh, you know, the story credit. They discussed this idea of erasing someone from your from your mind after a painful breakup way back in like the eighties, just as a like just friends talking. And this most he proposed as a social experiment, sending a card to people telling them that they'd had part of their memory erased or something like that. Just as like, hey, what would people do, man? French people are with. <laughs> so Kaufman was asked to write this as a movie while he and Gondry were working on uh, Human Nature, but he put off writing it because he wanted to complete many other projects including adaptation and during the time that he was putting off writing it on purpose a little movie called memento came out which also features heavily a backwards narrative and playing with memory and that sort of stuff and charlie kaufman saw that and was like well we're fucked Uh, i guess we're gonna kill this movie huh and then the studio were like no, you're going to fucking make this. Stop dicking around and write the movie, Charlie. So he did. And I feel on some level he, from that moment onward, was trying to sabotage it and was never really that into it because the story is about, you know, like, wanting the title to be difficult and... We've watched Adaptation. We know he's, like, notoriously, like, anti his own stuff and, like, massively, like, self-conscious. I also think this is far and away his best script. Really? I think Adaptation is more audacious in structure and kind of, like, playing with a meta-narrative. I think this this script has so much kind of like emotional heft behind it and so much kind of like said in subtext that I think it's yeah. everything in this movie to me kind of like comes together to elevate it and I'm stunned that it only got two Oscar nominations. Yeah, fair enough. In my opinion this should have got lead actor, lead actress, script director and picture nominations editing maybe Ed- editing to certainly special effects in some ways uh, as well although a lot of it's practical so anyway speaking of adaptation joel is semi-autobiographical by kaufman he put a lot of himself into it and isn't Nic- this based on one of his relationships or is it potentially yes and nicholas cage was in fact first choice to play joel and yet i would say he's nothing like charlie kaufman is in adaptation but i don't know maybe just a bit of a sad person who's self-critical but beyond that very different energy but that's probably the different actors you're getting there jim carrey as we said sort of cast i don't know if he's cast against type because you know he had done man on the moon and truman show although truman show still has that manic energy but this is very very subdued i saw an interview where gondry was like they sat down to have a meeting with jim carrey and like he'd just gone through a breakup and basically told jim carrey like i want you to maintain this pain for a through year production, for a year until we start production on this movie yeah like again i'm, I'm thinking michelle gondry's a dickbag you stole my next note. Gondry also did everything he could to kind of suppress Jim Carrey's comedy instincts. Like, he let everyone else improvise, but told him he couldn't. He, like, called cut at the wrong time or action at the wrong time. Like, he kept him disoriented. Basically, just fucking with everyone in the movie for the sake of his art. That makes sense. Like, to keep Joel disorientated, like, makes sense in my head. Obviously, like, if it caused psychological damage to Jim Carrey in the long run, massively dick move. But this, I can see why keeping... Is, yeah, I don't feel great about 
about filmmakers that are this way. I appreciate that this may have been the only way to get the result he was looking for, but I just immediately turned to the part where it's like, you're being an absolute asshole and potentially, like, I don't know if he's causing Jim Carrey any emotional trauma, but still. Just... I mean, like, at, at the end of the day, they are working together again because Gondry directed at least a lot of season one of Kidding. So it's not like there's any ill will based around No, this. no, no, I'm sure there isn't. And But there's, I don't know, there's too many stories like this where actors are telling people about what a director put them through and they're saying it so casually, but it's like, dude, the fuck? Kate Winslet also kind of against type because she'd been doing a fuck ton of period dramas and stuff and this is, I mean, Clementine is a manic pixie dream girl, let's be honest. And she was cast because she was the only actress who offered any criticism of the script as opposed to just reading it straight. Similarly, Mark Ruffalo was cast because he didn't just read it, he, like, engaged with it and, like, was making suggestions of his own about, like, Stan should be, like, really into the clash and, like, try and look like Joe and everything. Like, yeah, I I think basically anyone who engaged with the material rather than just reading it won Michelle Gondry over. Tom Wilkinson had a horrible time filming this and argued with Michelle Gondry a lot as did the cinematographer, or the lead cinematographer, as did the camera crews, as did the editor, as did Charlie Kaufman. So, I'm just saying, I think trouble, he's a difficult trouble. creative. <laughs> that, that would make sense. I can imagine, like, especially because he's coming from doing Human Nature, which I, I imagine probably wasn't quite as, like, emotionally charged in terms of, like, subject matter it was dealing with, and also being from a music video background where the visuals are the most important thing, whereas this, like, there's actors who are having to, like, emote and there's, well, everything kind of has to mesh together. I think he served the actors, like Kate Winslet talks about how much she loved making this, how it's her favourite performance of her own, how free she felt, because he was like, yeah, improvise, do what you want, but there are no, like, camera markers, there are no X's on the floor for them to stand at, so the camera crew were, like, breaking their own necks, trying to, like, whip around and get a good shot of people, so they were having a horrible, horrible time, but, but then, like, you it looks great, though. <laughs> yeah, you see some of the shots in this movie, like, there's the scene where like, just after Joel goes into his memories and is, like, reliving the last we saw Clementine and they're like running through the house and she's like yeah. teleporting pretty much into different places and it's all kind of like we're within one camera movement and it's like I can imagine that being awful to shoot yeah. if like, a there's no a staggering amount of this is practical where like literally Kate Winslet is like running off somewhere else and like there's even a scene where Joel like turns to her and she's not there and they had to cut the audio because Jim Carrey didn't know where she was and went Kate so they, like, they had to dub over it or whatever. Ellen Pompeo and Tracy Morgan were in the movie and got cut against Charlie Kaufman's wishes. Ellen Pompeo was going to be Joel's act. They allude to the fact that he's living with a woman when he meets Clementine. Yeah, there's, there's a deleted scene where he's on the phone to her, but in like the the modern timeline of it yeah. post erasure I think they um, like, have a one night stand after. yeah they have they have a one night stand and he says like I don't think we need we should jump back into this which I'm just imagining like how weird it must be to have this process and have someone so intrinsic to your life removed who you've been with like two years and then to come back out and just go like well I guess nothing has changed really for me emotionally since I broke up with this girl so why don't I go sleep with her like just this like weird like foggy headspace of like you know it's been two years yeah. but you can't think about what happened in those two years what have years. I done for the last two Years, oh, I guess just drifted through life, bang, bang, bang. Let's get into it. The movie opens with Joel impulsively catching a train out to Montauk Beach on Valentine's Day and keeps awkwardly catching the eye of Clementine at the beach, at the platform, on the train, and they eventually do get to talking on this train and they both have a feeling of deja vu towards each other. I mean, I feel the reputation of like what this movie's about massively. I can't imagine seeing it not knowing what it was about, so I feel like every 
viewing, first time viewing, is somewhat coloured. Like, you know what the deal is and why they feel this way towards each other. But I can't imagine just being completely oblivious to what's going on and just... I wish my partner was in the room now because she literally went into it without any knowledge oh, of what it's about. How is that possible? It was quite funny for her to, like, be reacting to, like, the opening credits and go, like, wait, she's in this. He's in this. Oh, <laughs> this is adorable. So he's got, like, a little sketchbook or a journal. It's kind of both, isn't it? Like, he draws, he writes, he just sort of... Yeah, it's his yeah. journal, but he's yeah. got, like, the, he's an artist as well. Very and... memento style. There are missing pages that he's not sure when they were taken out. And he's like, I guess this is my first entry in two years. Like, like you're saying, like, the fog of, of just losing that much time of your life. And there are clues here because, like, he gives the date at the beginning. And then when you later see him writing in a journal, it's a different year and stuff like that. Like, again, if you didn't know what's going on with the timeline here. Yeah, like, the, mo- the movie is pretty clearly signposting the fact that, like, it is being told in reverse. Yes. Somewhat. But you also, can see why Charlie Kaufman saw Memento and was like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> I think this is cleaner than yes, Memento. Yes, it is. But you can see why he would think that. If it's like, so we've got a present timeline and we got a recurring backwards timeline and there's missing time and journals with pages missing. and It's weird because the movie is both entirely chronological. Yes. But part of it is continuously going backwards. Yes. They also use her hair to signpost the movie and stuff. Her hair colour at the beginning is, or in the present, is Blue Ruin, which is a great name. And they talk about, like, uh, Agent Orange and, and all these other ones. But yeah, you can tell what time it is based on her hair. And it is blue here. His narration during this sort of opening bit, it's all very, like, cynical about Valentine's Day and, like, how he wishes he didn't just fall in love with every girl that's nice to him. But then, like, when she's talking to him... She has the energy of, like, she's almost, like, all over him. And he kind of has a bit of a can-you-leave-me-alone vibe. And I I guess they're going for he's a bit shy, or maybe it is that subconscious, like, knowing that he has some resentment towards her or something. But it reads to me very, like, could you give me some space, please, while she's incredibly full-on towards him. I took it as more like, he's an introvert, he wants to talk to her. But, like, everything about him is just kind of going, like, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. It's, it's not so much that he doesn't want to talk to to her but more that just kind of like he's not equipped to do it yeah and she's just like has zero chill and does not give and, a fuck and, and like, will talk to start, anyone he's, he starts to like kind of get into a groove for it but then he'll say something like you're nice and then she go like what the fuck does that mean yeah <laughs> and she punches him which is very weird and entirely improvised and Jim Carrey's real reaction there so they have like this awkward parting but then Joel spots her on the street while he's driving and he takes her home she invites him in and is again like fully like I don't know if she's actually propositioning him there and then but she's certainly talking about it and whether that's just sort of a like to try and keep him on his toes type thing I don't know uh, he remains pretty closed off but he gradually I mean it it really does and I know that like this is a diagnosis that some people have described she does feel very much like she has a BPD yeah I know I think uh, most people read her that way and it's it becomes a little bit tricky when you consider the whole manic pixie dream girl stereotype and I think it helps that she makes that little speech about don't apply I, me as your solution or whatever towards the end. Too too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete yes. them or I'm going to make them alive but I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind don't assign me yours. And that I helps think that, tremendously. I, 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 it, does, it does help tremendously and I do think that this is a, a so much more 
nuanced performance than like I mean, what what are we saying is the quintessential like manic pixie dream girl performance? Like we've got I mean we've obviously already discussed almost famous. Well, it, like, come, I, it comes from Elizabeth Town, doesn't it? Like it, it comes from Elizabeth Town, but I feel like Natalie Portman in Garden State is another one yeah. that's kind of like which is also this year. These kind of girls and like there's there's two movies I feel that have a decent enough grasp on like the counterpoints to that, and it's this movie and it's Five Hundred Days of Summer. I was gonna say Zoe Deschanel and Five Hundred Days of Summer. A little which, bit which is Ramona it, which is, Flowers. Which, I feel like we have to take the comic book if we're going to say, <laughs> it's, like, if, if we're discussing like the arc of Ramona Flowers, I think the important part is the, the comic book more than the movie because the movie uh-huh. has to condense so much of that. But that's a conversation for another year. Yeah, so she's, uh, they lay on the frozen lake together, it's adorbs as fuck, and he calls her as soon as he gets home and then they go out on the lake and everything. And, and it's, it's all just so meet cutie. But then you get the weird, like, he takes her back to our house and she heads inside to get something and Elijah Wood <laughs> knocks at the window and is sort of like hey man what the fuck Elijah Wood doesn't get like a with or an and credit in this he's just kind of like nestled <laughs> in the credits he's like the first other actor to show up but then in the back of my mind I'm just got kind of like you're coming off of Lord of the Rings yeah like you are fresh off three of the biggest movies of all time and yeah. apparently this has done nothing to your stature to like elevate you up above a level nope I'm also like my question is like what was he doing because obviously like Lord of the Rings finished filming kind of like 2001, 2002-ish, I imagine. Because they filmed them all back-to-back and they started in, like, 1999, I think. Yeah. So, like, he must have been, like, sat doing not much for quite a long period of time. Wait, for that phone to ring, it's like, I've made these life-changing movies, but no one's going to see them for three years. <laughs> Dick around and make the faculty. Oh, that was way before this, That was it? before that. It was before that. It's like, because he has the one-two punch after Lord of the Rings of mm. Eternal Sunshine and Sin City, uh, yeah. which he plays kind of, like, vaguely similar. Creepy character. little fucks. So then, 18 minutes into the movie or something like that, we get our opening titles, and inexplicably, Joel is weeping in his car, and and his neighbour is very like, oh, good thing you got Clem. And the the whole thing is like shot, staged in a way where it's very clear from his body language that he and Clementine have broken up and that's why he's crying. And, and I think on the first viewing, if you don't know what the plot of the movie is, you assume it is, we've skipped ahead. We've skipped ahead of you, yes. Instead of the truth of... We've gone back two days. Indeed. And he's exhibiting some very strange behaviour. He's like stumbling around his apartment, reacting to light and stuff. And, you know, these two guys drive past him in a van and like oh is that the guy and then he passes out in his apartment and they enter and it is Tobey Maguire and Mark Ruffalo Hulk himself and... well they, they hold back on the Tobey Tobi, not Tobey Maguire Elijah Wood I confuse them so often Tobey Maguire is the bad one Elijah Wood is the good one yeah but they they, they, they hold back on revealing Elijah Wood's face for quite a while probably like in part to like keep it as a reveal but yeah. like every time you see him he like he's put something on top of his head he's off camera I'm just looking at my notes and seeing how many times I wrote the word Maguire instead of words <laughs> right now. It's great. I know I knew it in my head and I even said it right the first time, but it's just all over this these notes. It's just Maguire, Maguire, Maguire. <laughs> not Spider-Man. Not Spider-Man. Frodo. So we then get Joel telling his friends. Here's just David Cross for like 30 seconds or something. Telling them about how he tried to get Clementine back with an early Valentine's present and she just completely blanked him and was kissing another man who is not Tobey Maguire, but Elijah Wood. You have to keep it in now, you have to keep this joke going. I guess I do, I guess I do. And eventually David Cross just flips, and again, 
against his girlfriend slash wife's wishes. He pulls out a card and hands it to him and it says that Clementine, I can't remember her last name and it's hard to pronounce, has erased you from it's, her It's Krasinski? Something along those lines, or yes. Krasinski or something. Krasinski, I don't know, yeah. And so, of course, Joel goes down, he verifies this with the company and you get Kirsten Dunst as the receptionist and she's printing dozens of similar cards and telling person after person over the phone that, yeah, this offer has expired and all that and it's all very, like, I like this kind of unexplained sci-fi, you know, like, stuff where they never, they are completely disinterested in explaining how the thing works, it is just a part of the world, you know, um, I can't think of the other, like, major, major example of something similar to this, which is like, yeah, we can do this, don't even worry about it, but yeah, I, I like that about it, and Charlie but there's, Croft, a, but there's also, like, no other science fiction elements in the movie, like, it's no. just this, and it's like, but it's, it's an impossible dr- machine that allows this thing that would be, you would think it would be the biggest thing in the world, and it's just like, oh, there's just a company that just does this, as if it's like, oh, it's like Deliveroo, or like, oh, it's like Uber, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. yeah, they erase memories, don't worry about it, it's like, oh jeez, okay, and like, it being treated as so banal, but being this magical thing, I like that about it, and Charlie Goffman wanted it to not focus on sci-fi, he wanted it to be about the drama and the emotion and relationships and all of this. Upon learning and verifying this is all 100% legit, I don't know if he's 100%, he's like, well, fuck her, I want to get it done too. So he asks them to erase her from his memory, and so he has to go and gather up bags of trinkets and photos and gifts and anything that would remind him of her, like tearing out pages of his journal, all of this stuff, and he has the procedure done, and we start to experience a series of like trippy memories and hallucinations. Now, I'm skimming over a lot of stuff here, just for plot recap, but this is a very intense <laughs> sort of 20 minutes of, of movie making here. And I, 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 It's one of those movies where I don't think the plot's important. It's, it's so much more like, because you can sum up the plot of what goes on in the memory racing is Joel realises quite quickly that he doesn't actually want to lose all his memories of Clementine. And he's literally trying to fight the process. Yeah. And he's trying to fight the process. And so you kind of spend this time of him reliving his memories of like these past events and wanting to keep hold of them. Him talking to a fictionalised version of Clementine in his head and kind of like trying yeah, it's to his, make... like ideal version of her, isn't it? Yeah. Like she's flawless and just nothing but positive and charming. And like and sometimes it will like rear, rear its ugly head of like the times they have fights but then she'll come back and say like well I, I don't know Joel like we fought about this I don't know why I we sh- fought about this. But I think again you can tell from the hair I think the ideal one has the like deep red hair and then you know we see blue, orange, green and even brown I think at one point in the memories and again a way that they so if you if you didn't know you might then piece together he, when he's interviewed about how he met her it's different to what we saw at the beginning of the movie so it's like here's where you could be like oh I guess he's met her after this has happened or whatever I've got to say I I feel you're going to vehemently disagree I don't like this little stretch of the movie at all. I think it's a little bit too abstract and wanky for me. I like it much more when that change happens and it becomes more coherent as he is actually trying to fight the procedure, but when it's just a lot of him like having flashbacks to them explaining the procedure to him and just random memories and, and, and moments, I, I, I'm just not into it. It doesn't engage me. It, I find it a little bit too all over the place. Um, and it's meant I, to I, be. I, I, I appreciate that. But I, just... I, I do I do love this section of the movie, but I do think it's, it isn't as strong as when he starts fighting back in earnest. And the core cool reason I don't think it's as good is purely because it doesn't have Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet 
explains it on screen actually like interacting with each other i think that's the biggest weakness of this part is kind of like the movie has to do so much heavy lifting of kind of like getting you to a point of knowing what's going on even though it's not going to explain like the actual science behind what lacuna ink does or anything <laughs> happens yeah. it still does need to do some heavy lifting to say like right we're gonna you need to bring all the these things yeah. you're gonna and like kind of setting up the the the, the, the rough inklings of the fact that like memories are going to be erased and then you can go back into an old memory and it'll be distorted or yeah. all these things and they do this so quickly and i think they do it really well and but i do think it is a lesser stretch of the movie just in just in terms of yeah. it is much more about the editing and the directing rather than the two performances that i think are so central to like what makes this movie work speaking a minute ago about the like mundanity of the machine ruffalo and, and elijah wood being so like bored by what they do which is a crazy thing that they do that they just sort of hang out and are just bickering like oh god this again and inviting kirsten dunst over and like you know helping themselves to the stuff in the people's apartments and and all of this it's like it really sells the idea that this is so dull to them they've done it so many times and 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 the the scale of it is revealed later on i feel well i mean you know hearing that woman over the phone wanting the procedure done for the third time in a month and seeing how many cards there are and all that it does tell you that but i feel it doesn't sink in the like enormity of what they do here until near the end but you kind of got the in and out of his head plots and out of his head get elijah wood's character confessing that he has been seeing clementine and that he fell for her while she was unconscious and he stole her underwear and it's all very very bad while they're talking about this joel at times he is like semi-cognizant of what has happened he's telling her that this memory is falling apart and he's like i'm erasing you and he's like yeah i remember the procedure from earlier but then at another moment He's, like, confused, and he's like, how do I hear this voice? How does he know to call you there? Yeah, you know, like, I don't know. It's, like, for a minute, it seems a bit inconsistent about how aware he is. I think it, it like, I think all of this stuff at the beginning is kind of, like, him realising. Because I think it takes, like, two times through for him having the conversation with Dr. Howard to, like, to, like, realise that, that what the process is that's going on. Yeah. I think they do kind of, like, quite quickly. Again, it's in that sequence where he's very disorientated. Get to the point where, like, Patrick is talking about Clementine and talking about how he's copying this guy's... Oh. it's so fucking creepy that like yeah like he goes over to Clem's house and she has the blue hair so another hint at what's going on and she says how she has this impulse to go to Montauk right now and we see in his bag he's got all of Joel's shit and it's just so clear immediately what's going on here that like he is abusing his position and and what he knows about her and you have to assume that he used some of what they did for her procedure to like seduce her and then this is like he's like ah oh, this is gonna make it even more effective now i've got all of joel's side of it and like he yeah. quote, he quotes something that joel said to her and like yeah, they... so he so he takes her to the to the ice ice field or whatever and then basically like very robotically recites the like i'm so happy i could die yeah. I mean, the fact that you get three versions of the scene, you get the kind of like semi-organic one mm. where they go together and it's like their, their second time. They don't know why they're drawn to this place. Or like that weird thing where like Clementine goes to it because Patrick took her there the night before or whatever. Yeah. And then you get this Elijah Wood version. And then you finally finish up with like the original Joel and Clementine version. And you're like, it is so much more creepy when he's doing robotic robotically and Joel is like an actual earnest yeah. admittance of love. I just, I cannot express how creepy this Elijah Wood character is that he would do. Like that is an unfathomable abuse of not, pa- well, it is a kind of, 
kind of power, but you know, just to manipulate her to that level is is so fucking creepy. And yeah, this is where for me, I, I really like the beginning. And like I said, I wasn't, I don't love that like sort of 10, 15, 20 minutes there. But once he does start to actually say, I want to call this off, let me keep this one memory. And he keeps trying to explain the situation to Clem and be like, hey, we, and she's the one that suggests, well, just take me to a different memory. I love all of this. I think this is a really great concept of them literally on the run from like disappearing scenery and like him trying to keep her there as everything around them vanishes and all this sort of stuff. And like you said, we see them on the lake again, but in completely different clothes and it's great it's what a great concept like this is the movie in a in a sort of 10 minute span really <laughs> yeah it, it, i mean like this is wonderful again I, I just can't say enough good things about jim carrey and kate Winslet. like the fact he wasn't even nominated for best actor is like a genuine travesty Fuck those um, people. i mean like so he was nominated for the bafta BAFTAs, of um, course, much better than the Oscars. I actually <laughs> haven't really sat down and looked at a list of BAFTA winning things. I'm sure they've made bad decisions as well. So the BAFTAs nominated Jamie Foxx for Ray, Jim Carrey for Return of Sunshine, Johnny Depp for Neverland, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Aviator, and Gail Garcia Bernal for The Motorcycle Diaries. Whereas the Oscars slate was Jamie Foxx for, as Ray, Don Cheadle for Hotel Rwanda, Leonardo DiCaprio for Finding Neverland, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Aviator, and Clint Eastwood for Million Dollar Baby. And it's like, I mean, you could, I mean, like, you could dump Don Cheadle. <laughs> yeah. I, I I I just think this is—he's not even is, credited for Ocean's Eleven. He's that bad. <laughs> but like, I think this is so so fundamental. This is my favorite Jim Carrey performance. Yeah, I don't think he's ever been better than in this movie. Like, is even even when you watch something like I really um, like the Truman Show. When you watch the Truman Show, he's still doing Jim Carrey though. But that's that's why I like it is that you kind I, of get the full gamut. Like you yeah, get like, the manic look at me shit, but then you also get it's not as good as it is here, but you do get a sneak preview of like Joel. Like you can see where Joel came from when you watch the the quieter moments of the Truman Show. But I that's just, for just, a different decade. <laughs> yeah, this is this is so much like it's so good. It's so I can see why he started to consciously attempt to do more dramas, and then that didn't really work out. But yeah, but the thing is, I don't, I don't think he's done anything close to approximating this. I don't know if that's because he was so much better because he's bouncing off Kate Winslet, and Kate Winslet is a force in this movie. She's uh, so good, and it's like <laughs> I guess you just expect her to be good because you just know she's a good actress. But like, this is so different than anything she does. I mean, it's it, like she, she, so she lost to Hilary Swank for Million Dollar Baby, which also ultimately won Best Picture at the at the Oscars. And it's like Hilary Swank is good in Million Dollar Baby, but like this is still Kate Winslet's best performance ever. And if we're saying like Kate, this is Kate. Kate Winslet's best performance ever, and she is like one of the great actresses. But it's also like, is it is this before or after the the whole extra sketch? It, this must be like the same year or like the year. Extra was like two thousand three or two thousand four. I want to say Office ends in two thousand three. I want to say I think so. Does Office end, but the Christmas specials haven't happened? Or uh, I assume the Christmas specials haven't. Let's go to. So she is on Extras two thousand five. So this is the year before okay. she does the Extras episode Don't where she where she famously says, "I'm only doing this role so I can win an Oscar because you win Oscars for Holocaust movies." Yeah. Or is it World War Two? I can't remember if it's Holocaust or if it's just World War Two. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. <laughs> and then what movie does she win the Oscar for? She wins the Oscar for The Reader, which is about her and her trial stemming from war crimes to do with a Nazi concentration camp because yeah, the Academy Awards are a cliche. But yeah, Kate Winslet is tremendous in this movie. I uh, the fact she didn't win is is awful. She at least she won a few years later, but yeah, this is this is like God, am I am I gonna make this claim? I think this is my favourite acting performance from 
from an actress this decade. Wow. I mean, I'm not equipped, like Joel, talking to Clementine on a train, I am not equipped to engage you on this at this moment. But, I mean, very possibly. <laughs> I, 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 I just think she is wonderful because she has played so many different things. Obviously, like, she's, she's playing so many different versions of the character. She's playing the version that's trapped inside Joel's head and his ideal version, whilst you're also counteracting with the fact that she's in terms of Patrick and going through some kind of, like, some kind of break because she's having a terrible time. And, yeah. like, she feels violated when Patrick does the reciting of the words to her. Yeah, like, that's oh. some... It's not that she consciously remembers, but, like, there is very clearly a strong negative, like, response when he does that. And, like, you get these hints that this doesn't work as smoothly as they would like you to think it does. And in this stretch, like, you see Joel open his eyes briefly, and tears are, like, coming down his face, because it's, like, internally, he doesn't want this anymore, and he is having a very, very bad time. But, like, to them, it's just like, oh, yeah, you just knock him out all night, have sex right next to them, eat all their stuff, do what you want, it's fine. Her suggestion of, like, taking her and hiding her in different memories works, because he starts putting her in memories that have nothing to do with her, thinking, they're only targeting one she's in, so if I take her to a childhood memory, she's fine, they're not going to erase my childhood. And you get this really trippy sequence where you have a, a full-size Jim Carrey underneath a giant table and, like, forced perspective and a little bit of CG that doesn't look great anymore. And then, then Kate Winslet as, like... 19, <laughs> 1950s housewife. Yeah, or like, yeah, like his mum's, like, hot friend or whatever. It's all a little bit creepy because he, I, I, he I, has I, the I, child impulses of, like, wanting the ice cream and, like, why won't she pay attention to me and all yeah, that. But then also but, she's, like, flat Flashing him, and it's like, Ugh. yeah, because the, pre- the previous scene is her going like, I remember this memory. This is when you looked at my crotch and wanted sex, yeah. and they immediately go from that memory into like this this one, which doesn't seem like particularly like noticeable, other than he's having a bad time of it, and then she flashes her, her crotch at him again, and mm. I mean, when, like, like he slips between adult and child in this and it's all very <laughs> let's not psychoanalyze this yeah but like she she calls him baby joel uh yeah. this this is the bit that feels the most like michelle gondry's kind of like music video sensibilities yeah. this would not feel out of place in like a bjorg video <laughs> so now we're in the bit where like, this is when the music music video sensibilities start coming in what's your favorite one of the kind of like i like tricky, i like the, this... uh, the car when, when they're in the car and like he gets out of it and the car like or it like disappears around him and stuff you know that one I think my favourite is when she's walking so before this one when she's walking up the street and mm. he tries chasing her but like ends up back at his car that he's parked inside the road Yes. and each time he goes backwards and forwards the words on the shop fronts start to fade and disappear I mean there's so many good ones like all the all the books kind of like bleeding their letters oh and yeah, like, yeah. The, the books are very 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 good as well and like uh, all of the like it feels like a play you know like there's not enough light and there's just like a single like spotlight on an otherwise dark set it's all it's all so good and he pissed off the the crew with all of these requests as well by like not wanting it lit and they're like well we have to fucking light it (laughs) (laughs) they had to like hide light bulbs on the set to like provide any light whatsoever but you know finished product great so we forgive the man of his sins you know as i said it's working and the procedure suddenly halts and this freaks stan out mark ruffalo and he kirsten dunce convinces him that they need to call the doctor uh, Howard last name again difficult I, look, but... I'm looking through the list of last names in this movie and it's like Kaufman was just like what if I make them the most kind of like Eastern European Jewish 
Polish inflected <laughs> names that I could possibly come up with. Yeah, here's your Polish immigrants, motherfuckers. So the doctor, the, the man in charge, they call him in the middle of the night to come over. He is pretty angry with them because they... It's very clear they do this a lot where they fuck about and he is expecting them to sit attentively and monitor all the stuff and, like, they clearly never they've, do. They've gotten high, drunk whiskey, had sex. Yeah, and and <laughs> Elijah's gone. And it's like, Mary's not even Eli- supposed to Elijah's, be Elijah's gone. Yeah, Mary is just the receptionist. And she's like, oh, I feel like I need to know what goes on with the job. And Her <laughs> acting a stoned person trying to not be stoned is very good stuff. <laughs> where she's, like, over-talking. Like, I think all of, like, these four characters who kind of do get this, like, little subplot through it are all really good. They are, but, like, some part of me feels all of this is a bit... It's not that it's out of place, because it really does all connect back up. I think this really drives home the point of the movie. I think, like, if, like, the two titans of this movie are Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, but they don't get to interact with this little substory that goes on. But this yeah. substory is so fundamentally important to their emotional journey and as, like, offering, like, this is a bad thing that they do. Yeah, it is. And, like, like, like the, the, movie the movie is condemning the process very clearly. And yet, I don't know, they don't really face any, that we can see, criticism until, you know, the revelation that's coming up soon. But, yeah, I feel the movie is 100% asking you to come down on the side of this is a very, very bad thing and no one should do this. I mean, I think I think it's all the way through, where it's just, like, it's that idea of, like, you are losing something that made you you. Exactly. Like, you have every, to every learn rela- from things. And, every like, relationship you're in is... Is supposed to be a growth period and if you don't grow from relationships then you're just going to be trapped in the same cycles over and over again which is yeah. possibly an interpretation you could have this movie we are here to analyze you all and we are here to tell you definitively you should learn from your breakups and go become a better person the doctor howard i don't want to call him dr howard because that feels very like <laughs> it does but i also don't want to say his surname so tom wilkinson sure tom wilkinson is successful in restoring the procedure but joel continues to resist he keeps moving to more deeply rooted traumatic memories and and forcing them to to drug him further and, and this is where you get the, the moment of him like crying as they're drugging yeah. him. Yeah, I like, I like the, the first one is kind of like standard teenage boy like repressed memory of him like jerking off oh, and yeah. his bump being screen. caught wanking yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and Kate Winslet's laugh at this is tremendous yeah. like it's, it's both that just kind of like oh Joel really yeah. <laughs> and then followed by her laugh it, it's so infectious and so yeah. like she gets to play so many different facets of this character and I love it so much. Yeah. Um, this is also where you get them literally running away from the from the crumbling scenery. It's, it's really good and it's really sad watching him get bullied and seeing him as an adult but like in the like kids clothes. And, I mean like, that, that is the most devastating yeah. one of these is so he goes to an even more dark repressed memory. He's bullied into killing a bird with a hammer. I know. Oh kids are the worst. They are the <laughs> absolute worst. That has to be a thing that happened to someone involved in this movie. That is oh, so it's so specific. Hyper, it's so hyper specific, specific yeah. that like it can't be something you've just like come up with. This has to be something that someone knew happened. Or... What you do is you reason with yourself. It wasn't you. It was your identical twin brother Donny that did it. And you just <laughs> repressed that shit for years. Yeah. Fun fact: the kid bullying him went on to play the lead in Ace Ventura Junior or Pet Detective Junior or whatever it is. So there you go. That scene where like the little kid like twists his arm is yeah. fantastic because it's the whole like I don't I'm not scared of you anymore because I'm an adult now and then like the kids just like no because you're in a memory like you you can't change this this is how it works you like see them become actual children that they're narrating over or or dubbing over they engage in like fake smothering and it's a bit strange (laughs) 
to me that they keep doing this. So like, I can't tell whether because I have done this with a partner of like oh, a joke cool. thing. Oh, cool, But I can't tell whether or not it is the influence of this movie making me do this, mm. or whether or not this is something that or I the would fact ever that you do. murder women and you have a deep desire <laughs> to kill everyone. Yeah. No, I'm the one that's getting like smothered by the pillow. Oh, you want to be murdered? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> deep psychological flaw. In we life. are going to deeply explore the id of Benjamin Phillips tonight. Oh, that's <laughs> not. That's not. That's not. Um, but yeah, I can't tell whether or not something that I do because I saw this movie when I saw this movie, or whether or not something that I independently would have done otherwise. I don't, it, like it's one of those things where like has this movie has such a profound effect on me that it affects the way that I interact with relationships, which is very deep, and also kind of like I don't I can't think of another movie that has affected me in that way that I could I could pull out a thing and go like Do I do this because of this movie? When I did watched? I start killing women? Was it after? <laughs> Disclaimer, Ben has never killed a woman that I know of. So <laughs> That would be awkward, wouldn't it? It would. So Howard's wife drives over and while Stan had like stepped outside to check something in the van or whatever, Mary, who has very clearly throughout this been in love with Howard. Like she's just like, oh god, he's so amazing, isn't he? Yeah. Like even even when maybe, Stan maybe is we like, should call him. Maybe he should come over now. He's so good. He's a genius. Yeah. And she plants one off on him and you know he knocks her back but then doesn't <laughs> and his wife comes over and you can see them through the window kissing and Stan just for someone who's supposed to be some kind of scientist a fucking idiot uh, as he like tries <laughs> okay, to warn it's, 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 them it's that thing of like he has no social skills whatsoever no. and yet enough to like score some hot Kirsten Dunst it says a lot that the two technicians girlfriends or whatever are both people who have been recently memory erased doesn't it spoilers and yeah, it's also quite interesting that Stan is willing to, I don't know, protect his boss here rather than, like, be pissed that his boss It's the bro code. Yeah, I guess. Fuck men. Fuck men. Kill them instead of women. So, yeah, you get this reveal that... Because she tries to be like, oh, I'm just a dumb girl with a crush. It was a one-time thing. And then the wife just drops this bombshell that, like, you know, don't be a monster. You you had him. Yes. (laughs) they, They had an affair. And she requested the procedure be done on her and distraught. She goes and, like, finds her own file and everything. The script originally called for him also having pressured her into having an abortion against her will, which... Great, great, horrible stuff. I don't know... Who is it that says, like, you wanted it? Is it him that says that to her? Or is it... I don't recall anyone saying that, but I believe you. (laughs) No, I'm I'm just wondering, like, whether or not he told her you asked for the procedure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Stan tells her. Someone tells her that she I, I, asked I'm just, I'm just for thinking, it. like, because could it could it be interpreted that like she was pressured into doing this, but like, she didn't want it, or maybe she went through it thinking that he would get it done as well. But, I like, think he claims that she asked for it because she wanted to like remove the guilt from her head or something, or, or the pain of it. I don't know. But the thing is, then we're like, and it's it's that thing where the, this is when the movie starts to really come down because it's like yeah. erasing this doesn't change the fact that you are attracted to this person. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Like, you, like it. <laughs> Which you need to leave your job if you're doing this. Like, if, if you are doing something destructive, you can't yeah. just ignore this thing that's going on. Yeah. You need to do something more drastic than that. I almost and... wish that the line where she says that she was like, because I mean, she hears her own tape or whatever, where she says like she instantly. 
definitely was attracted to him or whatever. Because throughout the movie, like, she's had this, like, such intense, almost embarrassing crush on him. It reads very, like, oh, silly little girl while he's, like, the adult who's not interested. But then when you find out that it's because there is this, like, lingering familiarity with him that intensifies how she feels, it's so brilliant. But then when you learn that, like, potentially she behaved exactly like this the first time around, it kind of, it doesn't ruin it, but I kind of wish that that line wasn't in there. Well, it's, I mean, it's because the movie's about cycles. I appreciate that. It's just, I don't know, I like the idea that, like, she's being subconsciously influenced by memories. I think, I think she is. I think, anymore. I think it is, it's shortcuts the relationship. I've, and I, yeah. I don't know what the time frame is. I wouldn't be surprised if it's only a couple of months, but like, it does feel like maybe there was a growth in him realizing that he liked her, or like, there was a growth in their flirting. Whereas this feels like it goes from like naught to 60 and like she just kisses him because he's there. And she's um, still stoned. Yeah. And she's still stoned. But yeah, I, I think like, uh, Kirsten Dunst is uh, wonderful in this movie because, yeah. again, like, much like Kate Winslet, she gets to play so many different facets of this because she gets to do funny and breezy and you think she's going to be like this nothing role and then you end up finding oh no you're third build for a reason you're third build because you get this crushing emotional arc in this movie where you find out that you are fated in some ways to like fall in love with this awful awful person who's made this terrible technology who Um, did not follow the rules of Jeff Goldblum but who's also like willing to run away from the emotional damage he's caused to someone like I will absolve himself of it yeah I will cover this up I won't get the procedure done because I need to be aware that this could be a danger but then he makes out with her anyway because he's awful and also that thing of like oh I wouldn't have it done I would never have this done but no you should have it done and again like up until this like horrible reveal I always had this feeling of like this feels so out of place and this weird like love triangle between Stan and Mary and Howard but then when you get this all come to the fore it's like oh (laughs) meanwhile Joel arrives all the way back at his first meeting with Clementine in Montauk and it is different to you know she's got the green hair he sees her in the distance and like it becomes very clear this is why they are both drawn to Montauk and I think he knows at this point he's fucked and there's nowhere he can hide her and this as it's it's been going backwards and this is the beginning so you just get this like beautiful extended goodbye and then yeah it's it's like him him grappling with the stuff that he does he's narrating what they're doing and like they're going through the motions of what they did on that first date but also like commentating on it and like having this emotional wrecking of what happened because like they meet on the beach at this party yeah. like the only two people there who feel like outcasts they break into I feel that's like... how every couple meet in every indie movie they're people who feel out of place at a party and like strong relate but still <laughs> but yeah like they, they, they break into like someone's summer house that is abandoned during February in Montauk yeah and then like um, running through the house and it all just oh he's like so so sad and I feel she's very like no let's just run around it'll be fun and it's just so it's beautiful and she says like you get you get these, you get these bits where like he's downstairs and like shouting from upstairs and you can't see her asking these questions and he's kind of like wandering around and then he's just the stairs so pull apart and despondent. the house cuts yeah. collapsing and, and then he goes like and then I left yeah and 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 Howard and Stan leave the next morning and it's they're very like oh everything's cool right but like I think they both know everything's kind of fucked Mary quits and she steals all of the patient files and we see the beginning of the movie start to play out again but we see past the point where Patrick interjected and Joel and Clem drive towards his house and they are listening to their own interview tapes. This scene in the car where Joel starts hearing what Clem thinks about him because Clem is brutal. They're both brutal man. I I think think 
it's way I think, worse. I think, Joel's, but... I think Joel is slightly softer. I think he's savage, like because he's really snobby oh, they're, they're about both, her. They're both savage and they're both snobby, but I think some of the stuff that Clem says is like because like she she has no filter, and it feels like Joel starts from a place of saying like she's great, she's great, and then he does some like incredibly cutting critiques of her. They're trying the, to like I'm... awkwardly ignore it, like leaving it playing while they're trying to like talk, and like he offers to shut it off, and she's like, no, it's only fair. You heard me. Yeah, but like it's it's, it's her one in the car where Joel sat because like without context of what's going on, Joel's like, is this a joke? Did you record yeah, a tape? Yeah, you pranking me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you recorded a tape in the five minutes you've run inside your house just like yeah. psychoanalyzing me into this way? And then his tape where like that awkward moment where like, I can't remember what the exact quote is, but then they just kind of, like Joel just goes, like, I wouldn't say that about you. I'd never say that about you. And then Clementine's just like, don't worry about it. Like, how do you do that? Because like, you are saying that. Like, exactly. Like, oh, I wouldn't think that. And I don't think that. So, but you do and you did. And, and you can't just be like, well, well, I didn't say it, so you shouldn't feel mad at me. And it's like, yeah, it's a really weird thing where, like, you're pissed at someone who is not the person in front of you, but they it's are exactly, or they're, like, destined to be them or whatever. Or do you, do you have the alternative theory that, like, because they've heard this and because they know the complaint's going in, but they're still in they've that kind of honeymoon... they their own memories. Well, no, not, not soured it, but, like, because they're going in the honeymoon stage, is this good... Yeah, that, potentially. That, I mean, that, like, they now have a like a knowledge of it, and they can work towards kind of like building the relationship. I don't think the movie comes on either side. Jonathan Hickman took a very different reading of this, wherein Moira just can't bring herself to be with her husband after twice living a life with him and knowing that he will never change from how she meets him and all of that. Whereas this is almost the opposite. Where it's like, well, if we just vent all the stuff at the beginning, and it will be brutal as fuck. And that is like what Joel is seemingly proposing of like you know even if we end up going down this path there's too much here to just walk away from this and like maybe knowing it we can escape it or like it can be out in the open because I mean I feel I'm not saying every relationship has unspoken truths but like ones that have some problems definitely do and I think brutal honesty in all of life would be incredibly helpful but also potentially very damaging but like I think maybe there is something to that of like if you get everything out there and let it sit and know it and accept it and then try and like build something past that and maybe it all goes terribly wrong for them and they end up back here or they just break up or whatever but yeah it's a very lovely sentiment from Joel at the end and I really love them like vanishing into the snow playing but that's, 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 that's the thing is obviously the movie ends with what, what's the song that's playing over it I don't know but the soundtrack is dope the soundtrack is dope everybody's got to learn sometime with vocals by Beck is the, what closes the film but it's the clip of them kind of like running through the Montauk snow on the beach but it loops yeah. kind of like three times and it, it's that kind of like is this a cycle is this a self-destructive cycle where they won't change because, and then because... they also vanish into the snow like as if the memory has faded as well yeah. and Kaufman had a very clear idea about what was wanted here because he wrote in the ending of a much older Clementine like 30, 40, 50 years in the future having had this procedure done a lot of times over the years specifically to keep erasing Joel and I could just never escape every time I've seen this or thought about this movie the idea of revealing this isn't the first time either of them have done this you know because the whole thing hinges on he learns at the beginning she did it so he decides to do it and it's definitively their first time through each but I can never escape the idea of but what if you found out they've they've kept doing this and I'm not saying like I said that I think I could write better than Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry but like to me that is such an interesting idea and I like that 
Kaufman had that instinct, but I think Gondry movie... wanted that more like optimistic ending. Yeah, I think I think that movie is so much more dour and so much more down. I I like the kind of open endingness to this. Is that like you can interpret it to be like they're just going to do this self destructive cycle over and over again? Yeah. But you can also view it as they've learned from this. They are stronger as a couple now because they have they are going to have to head on engage with the flaws that they brought up in these tapes. And maybe the second time through is more successful. Maybe they do break up after a year and a half, or maybe they don't make it to day three. But that open-endedness, I think, is a benefit to the movie, because both interpretations can be true. It's the Schrodinger's cat. (laughs) But I I think something more definitive would feel out of place for something that is kind of like as... Oh, it needs the indie ending. They're like, well, what happens next? But it definitely does come down on the side of condemning this procedure, whereas potentially Kaufman's original ending didn't as much. But Do you know what my favourite thing about this is? What? This technology exists, and it doesn't matter that like they've they've gutted this company and all these tapes go out. This technology still exists in the world. Like yeah. that hasn't cha- that hasn't changed. Mary has sent out all the tapes to all people who've had it from this particular centre, and maybe Which... this is like the the first point of it. But like, it doesn't matter because no one's like gone like this technology should be illegal. This is going to carry maybe on. Maybe that happens. Maybe like the mass sending results in a lot of people suddenly being like, "Hey, this is fucked," and like the company goes under or something. But then like someone else buys the tech and does it in a different way. I do think on some level, Mary disseminating all these tapes and. Just just dumping this huge emotional bomb on people is kind of fucked because maybe for some people it works perfectly and they end up married to someone and then they suddenly get a tape where it's like oh this other girl is the one or I don't know it's not that I think I'm, I'm you just should so be allowed to be absolved of terrible things you've done but imagine just walking around and then all of a sudden oh by the way you killed someone or something and maybe they wouldn't allow people to erase like a murder but I don't know just the, the ramifications of like what could be dropped on you and how that could just blow your world apart yeah, I, mean, I, I feel sorry for the woman who like wanted to get rid of the pain of losing her dog yeah and, and like, she's, like you had a dog and it died and he's like, like what what <laughs> like, and it's like you know maybe it is bad to I mean I think we've agreed it is bad to not take those emotions and, and take them forward with you but it's also a little bit fucked because these people have paid for this and signed up for it willingly it's kind of a violation of that agreement to just walk along and be like fuck you your dog died and like i don't know i feel i feel that is a part of it that is a bit devil's advocate compared to the the general reading of like this procedure is bad and i agree it, one should not do this but i also think once someone has done it it is a little bit fucked to then turn around and be like surprise motherfucker but yeah, yeah I, it's, I, it's a gross invasion of their privacy yes Yes, and yeah, but ultimately, I I think it is a really cute and like every scene of, of Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet just standing near each other. It's just they're so cute, and it's not even that overly lovey dovey. They're just a really they have such insane chemistry, and yeah, they're like a definitive movie couple in the history of cinema. Like seriously, like the the classic pairings of actors and actresses going back. Well, just and Kate, and Kate Winslet has two. Yeah, yeah, she has Leo and she has she has Jim, but she didn't feel the need to go make another movie with Jim where they move house and that's difficult. I don't know. 
what happens in Revolutionary Road. <laughs> anyway. Uh, maybe Kay Winslet's going to show up in season two of Kidding. I don't think she will, but... <laughs> she does what she wants. Anyway, a lovely movie. Another, like, indie-as-fuck movie. That I mean, I... like, we, we, get ready for the trend of Ben's movies being indie-as-fuck, because... <laughs> I really love to gently mark indie movies, but I really do like them. So, I, we mark because we love, is my... Actually, I've just, I've just looked at my list, and most of my movies coming up are, like, hyper-masculine kind of movies. Yeah, but then... Apart, from, apart from one. The next movie we're doing is not a hyper-masculine, but a lot of the ones I'm doing are, like, hyper-masculine, that yeah. maybe grappling with the that stuff. Well, your 2010s are indie as fuck and feminist as fuck, I feel. But, as you said, our next movie is not hyper-masculine. I mean, there's a lot of masculinity in there. It's Brobat Mountain because Benjamin is a coward and did not stick to his original pick for what was going to be next. And A History of Violence was downvoted, so next it will be Brobat Mountain. Brobat Mountain was always on the list, let's make that clear. Yeah, Brobat Mountain was never not on the list. Yeah. It wasn't, like, at one point it was like, do we want to do Crouching Tiger or do we want to do Brokeback? But, I I, I put my foot down for broke back because we get discussed crash if we do broke back. <laughs> Fuck, Crash. <laughs> There's your preview for next week, everybody. Go to thereworld.com. Like, comment, subscribe. Just write the words fuck, Crash on every post. <laughs> do ones on, like, the superhero pantheon where they're just completely taken aback and they're like, um, I agree, but why? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, have we had any disagreements to any movies we've picked so far? Is our most controversial episode so far Catch Me If You Can? Yeah, Pick and Catch Me If You Can over AI. I feel there's a polite silence to things like Training Day and Ocean's Eleven. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think most people really like Memento and Almost Famous, and... Uh, I can't wait, because, I mean, like, if you saw the poll, the last <laughs> movie we're now doing for the miniseries is, is Zombieland. Fuck yeah, it is. We are gonna get so many complaints from film people who listen to this going, like, why the fuck are you doing Zombieland? As I refuse to close the series on something not as fun as that, quite frankly. That's, that's fine, but my counterpoint to that is, I said that we could do Zombieland 1 and 2 is like a double feature uh, separate to this. But I'm terrified Zombie <laughs> 2 is going to be really, really bad. Ruben Fleischer has not directed a good movie since he did Zombieland. No, Venom fucking sucks and you should listen to that on IntoTheRealWorld.com if you go to Big Spiders, me and Mike Thomas tear apart Venom but like keep coming back to, it's okay, but I don't think it's okay. I want to stress it's not okay. But that's on the site and until next time, Benjamin in a mix. We're doing Ben movies now. We've yeah. got like in the next like four weeks weeks as three Ben movies. So as we're doing Ben movies, does that mean you can more definitively declare whether or not there will be movies? There are at least three movies that I like coming up in the next few weeks. There are at least three movies, the name of this podcast. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone.